Boom. It's magic. We're back. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the High Button Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Belanger. Today's episode of the High Button Podcast is brought to you by ProLineStadium.com, Atlantic Canada's home field for great sports betting. The big game is here. Will Mahomes lead Kansas City to victory or will Philadelphia return to glory? Make your picks now and you can earn up to $50 in free play tokens. Spend $25 or more on single wagers, which include at least one football event at ProLineStadium.com from now until February 12th and receive $10 tokens that can be used on any football event on ProLine stadium bets fantasy or futures tokens must be used before the start of the big game on february 12 2023 bet on proline all year long at ProLineStadium.com or download the alc app please play responsibly must be 19 years of age or older Today on the High Button Podcast, we have a legendary individual when it comes to the game of hockey here in Atlantic Canada, Steve Kroll. Steve um, has been involved in, in hockey here as long as I've known. I looked at his elite prospects uh, today, and he goes back to coaching the Steel Subaru. Back then, they were called the, the Dartmouth Subways. Back to 1988. He was the head coach from there from 88 to 97. Um, after that, moving on to coaching the Truro Bearcats. After that, coaching the Cole Harbor uh, Major Midget team, which actually he coached against me back when I played for the Max. Um, today he's the general manager of uh, the Steel Subaru uh, Major Midget team, excuse me, U18 team. Uh, legendary individual when it comes, like I said, to the game of hockey. Um, excited to talk about Steve. I know he has some stories for me, and I also know that uh, he loves to tell these stories. So it's going to make my job a lot easier just sitting back and listening and uh and reminiscing about these times. So it's going to be great. I'm Justin. We're talking to Steve Kroll. Here we go. You know what comes next. Mr. Steve Kroll, welcome to the High Button Podcast, sir. I'm happy to have you here. Um, I'm happy to be number, uh, what is it, 450, 470? No, 429. Four, 429. 429, that's, that's great. I, I feel privileged. Yeah. <laughs> I know, uh, I know. My buddy Berkey was probably number, you know, one seven, about every fourth number. So, <laughs> you know, I'm privileged to finally get in here at four twenty nine. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. You're impossible to talk to at the rink. You're talking to someone left, right, and center. So to have you here for a solid hour, just for you to myself, I'm, I'm happy to pick your brain. Okay, good. I'll, we'll go with that. We'll go. <laughs> Well, it's true. Like you're, you know, you're a well-known individual in Atlantic Canada when it comes to the beautiful game of hockey. A lot of people trust your input. You know every side of it: the coaching, the general manager side, the event planning side. You're a you're a man of many traits when it comes to the game of hockey over the years. Would would you agree? Well, it was. Uh, you know, I think I was 15 years old. I I was captain of a midget team back then, and I had a there was an incident in our dressing room with a coach and uh it was that day i went home and, and said to my parents you know i want to this is what i want to do with the rest of my life I was, at some point i wanted to get in hockey and and try to change that element that uh, was displayed that day and it sort of started from there so I, w I was coaching a year later you know novice hockey or whatever and uh went went on from there it's been like 48 49 years ago so where did you grow up Dartmouth. Wow. So the incident happened there. Yeah. And then from there you said, okay, I got to try to change the culture a little bit of hockey. Yep. No way. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Where, where were you, forward or defenseman? Uh, actually, I played, I played both. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, I, I was, uh, played through through minor hockey. I, I spent years flipping back and forth and uh, gave you a better appreciation, I think, as a player, you know, for both positions and certainly coaching um, you know, it gets you, you, you understand both sides of the game. So, and how important, you know, the D air to the forwards and vice versa. Wow. So be, be, uh, have being a successful coach and being a successful manager in every aspect of the game, I guess you could say, did that help you being a player learning how inside a dressing room works and how a coaching staff works, just seeing the other side of it? Well, I think that, and I think it's, uh, you know, I, I go back to my, my upbringing with my dad and, and just, uh, you know, the rules of the house. And uh, he, he coached me early on in, in younger years. And, and I just saw how he not only treated me as a son, but I was just another player once we walked in the dressing room. Um, 
and uh, you know even going to the rink like we ne- we never talked hockey on the on the way to the rink we might have had a few discussions on the way home <laughs> that were kind of comical but uh you know it was basically once we once we stepped inside the rink you know i was just another player and and i just saw how he treated all the kids well what was it that made your dad so special to get like uh, a response out of the kids you know if you're a coach all you're looking for is a response out of your player what was it about your old man that you thought oh my dad knows how to get a response out of the players he's coaching well he he had a he certainly had a passion for the game he uh he, he was a captain of a championship team at Acadia in 1950-51 um long time ago it was their it was their last championship prior to Tommy Coolen win, winning in, uh, I think, 1990. No uh, way. Yeah, that was quite a stretch there. So he was the captain of that team, and, and he certainly had a, a passion for the game. And I, I know at that time, coming out of university, he had some offers to go and try out in pro and and uh, went on to be a, um, a phys ed teacher instead. He started out as a phys ed teacher because yeah. the pay was about three times what a pro hockey player was getting back then. What year would that have been? Like fifty two, fifty three. So a, a phys ed teacher made more money than a pro hockey player back. Yes, about three times. It was about six thousand versus two thousand. Kept them like yeah. No way. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. So he had a real, he had a passion for the game. He was an athlete. He's uh, was one of the best amateur golfers in Canada in his day. Uh, certainly in Nova Scotia was, uh, you know, he was on the Nova Scotia. Wellington Cup team several times, finished second in the national seniors twice. So he was a real, uh, you know, he was a real athlete. I know he's in the Acadia Hall of Fame uh, for for hockey and twice, once as an individual and once as a team. So that's incredible, first of all, like having a mentor like your old man to be able to maneuver away in sports. That's kind of cool, but but I'm still kind of caught up on the, the salary of a gym teacher compared to a pro hockey player. So if you, right now you have a full-time career in hockey. Back then, how did you maneuver your way into a career in hockey, even if it wasn't in the <laughs> NHL? But Well, there was many jobs. Yeah? You know, I, I was on the Jethro Bodine uh, uh, path, you know, where every day I was a different guy, a brain surgeon, uh, whatever it was. <laughs> whatever paid the bills. Whatever paid the bills. Um, most of the jobs I, I didn't like. But, you know, I, d- I did them to the best of my ability, always looking or waiting for the hockey opportunity to come. And you think back to the, you know, the 80s and 90s, you know, and compare it to now, like, you know, I, I, there were just there was no opportunities in hockey. You know, you, you were making your extra money through hockey schools or specialty clinics or whatever, or coaching clinics. Um, but now it's it's exploded into several different areas. For a young guy that's looking to, to do this for a career, you know, in Atlanta, Canada, there's all kinds of opportunities. So I'll give you an example. In, in 97, I became the first, I finally got my break. 97. 97. I, I had offers in 92 to go coach in the OHL, but I just met my wife at the time, my, my wife-to-be, and uh, and that sort of put a kink in those plans. But 97, uh, I got an opportunity to coach the Toro Bearcats, coach and general manager, full-time job first full-time job in the maritime hockey league you know all the, it was it was kind of funny because i'm i'm at the office every day at eight o'clock and uh but there was nobody to talk to within the league if i wanted to make a trade i'd have to do it either at lunchtime or or after <laughs> at, after supper because all the guys were working they were doing something else yeah. and all all telling me that they're you know envious of your full-time uh, position of my full-time position now you look at the the 12 teams in that league and they're all full-time wow you know it's, so it's it's really come full circle i i we, we kind of jumped ahead a bit i want to go back to the dartmouth subway days of i looked at your elite prospect it said your first year was 88 being the head coach 87 88 yeah. 87 88 you're the head coach of the dartmouth subways yeah i kind of a quirky question but how did the sponsorship come about to get subway well you, we we were actually uh the year that I took the team over, uh, it was the previous year. It would have been the Dartmouth Forbes Chevys, and that was their sponsor right from the start back in the seventies. We had a couple years there where we were um, the we were sponsored by the senior Dartmouth team, Ed Malloy. Um, so we were called like the 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 Honey Bee 
something. I don't, I can't remember. Start with honeybees. Yeah, it was it was like the honeybee syrup, corn syrup, or whatever. And then uh, then Dartmouth or uh, the or the Thrifty Car Rental uh, sponsored us for a few years, and we were actually when we hosted the nationals in uh, in two thousand nineteen ninety two, uh, we were the Thrifty Car Rental Kings, and. And then the year, I think it was the year after that, or two years after that, we became the Subways. And that was just a, a guy that I went to school with who uh, who had a couple of Subways in Dartmouth. And I, I spoke to him, and he, he went to his big buying group over here in Halifax. I guess all the Subway owners meet once a month and, and uh, sort of came together. And we showed him. Um, like clippings of, we kept all our newspaper clippings back in the day. Okay. And we had it in binders. We showed them all that, and we said, now, what would that cost for you to have Subway in all those titles? And, uh, you know, he, he was saying, it's ridiculous. It would be like $70,000. So, um, yeah, so it was a great, uh, you know, the beauty of that of that sponsorship, and even, even now, um, or even my time in Cole Harbor, we were the McCain's. Yeah. Um, or now with the Subarus, like everybody identifies your team with that name. It's I right? made it on the intro. I made a mistake. I said Subways, yeah. but then I corrected myself. Said Steel, but yeah, you just talk about a beautiful partnership that's lasted for how many years? Back in the day, till what? When was the last year? Two thousand and in the for the Subways. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, I, I I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I want to say two thousand ten, maybe. What a run! Yeah. Just you know, and and obviously the best player, arguably of all time, wearing that jersey too. Yes, it's just it, it the subways. It's it's just a it's a historic name in hockey. Yeah, not even just Atlantic Canada, around the world, the Dartmouth Subways, the yeah. Subways. Well, we still get the odd person referring to us as that, and uh, you know, out in the in the hockey world, um, you know, even a conversation I had with somebody from Notre Dame there a couple of weeks ago. They said, "You guys are the Subways, right?" And I said, "No, well, we're." That's that was twelve yeah. years ago or yeah. thirteen years ago, but um, yeah. Steel Subaru was listening. All right, yeah. guys, change the conversation. Change the conversation. Oh, <laughs> and well, listen, that, that's this has been uh, this has been an outstanding sponsorship from yeah. them, like a real community-oriented company. Uh, I know last week they just signed on uh, Ella, Ellie Black. Oh, did they? Uh, yeah. So she's she's driving around in a Subaru now, and they're they're sponsoring her and. Um, you know, first class car that I've got, you know, they really, it's really a, a nice ride. Yeah. They drove one out on the, the Moosehead game the other day at the first intermission, their new SUV. It looks nice. Yeah. looks real nice. I know. I know my coaches are all driving them too. So, oh yeah. Uh, I think we, I think we've sold, you know, 15 to 20 cars through the parent group or no way. Yeah. Our staff over, over the life of the sponsorship so far. Still so. Subaru. Hello. How are you? I need a new car. Let me know. Let's yeah. talk. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, I guess the, the major midget league back when it was uh, U18 league right now, when I was coming up, there was so much envious of the guys that got to play in that league. And you look at names like, you know, the foot, the max, I always think of Steve Dixon. I think of Alex Pinozzi that played for the, the subways. I think of Sid, obviously there's so many names coming up through that major midget league when I was younger that I used to idolize before they moved on to the Mooseheads or the, the Owens, whatever it was. And as a kid going to some of those games at the sportsplex, the, it just seemed, it just seemed like there was an intensity there that, was just unmatched on any other sporting event that I could watch because it was just the, the rinks were smaller. So the intensity, you felt it more, maybe a little bit more than a Moosehead game, whatever it was. But back then the major midget league, maybe the politics and, and, and applying to these teams and making the teams, how did all of that work when it came to, I guess, recruiting the, the, it just, it seemed very competitive to be on these major midget teams. And how did you go about that? Well, it, it, there's been lots of transformation over the years. Um, you know, when I first came in the league, it was uh, it was basically open season in Metro, um, and there was a few tweaks from year to year. I can remember, uh, I can remember the Nova Midgets. Uh, you know, they were um, they were they wanted to try to split up Dartmouth Halifax uh, because they thought that would weaken. You know that would prevent somebody from all the best players going to one team or the other. Cole Harbor wasn't in the picture at that time, um, 
So they, they, de de they developed these zones, and, of course, if you were in an open zone like Truro or Amherst or whatever, you could go wherever you want. And, uh, of course, when they did these zones, um, there, was, there was an open zone from Port Hawkesbury to the Seal Island Bridge in Cape Breton. Okay. Right? So the Antigonish team was Picto and Antigonish, basically. So, you know, that was their, that was sort of their way of, of trying to weaken us. So I, I went in, I was doing hockey schools in the city, and I went in and there was a kid from Port Hawkesbury that wanted to, had relatives in the city and wanted to come in and play. I said, yeah, great, you're an open zone guy. Come on in, we'll bill you for the winner. Well, that, of course, that ended that relationship for that rule because of the guy in Antigonish, you know, didn't want that rule in anymore because he now he we could go in and get kids out of his backyard in that open zone. So I don't that those are little things that happen from year to year. But um you know, in the last oh I'd say in the last ten years it's been a, a territorial yeah thing now. So there's six major Bantam teams or U U fifteen teams and yeah. uh we each get two. And the kids have to go. The kids in those areas have to go to those designated teams. So we have Dartmouth and Bedford, and and uh, those those kids that are playing at the U15 level, yeah. they they have to try it with us first. And then we have until August 31st to either sign them or they're released. Okay. Um, from my end, you know, every team does it differently. Uh, but from my end, if I see a kid's not going to be good enough to play on our team, we let them go. Soon as soon as we get that determination, uh, it's usually done way before August thirty first. But yeah. when you get down to those last one or two, and those kids aren't gonna, they're, they're gonna find a home. You know, the ones that don't make it. So I just remember coming up. It's like, oh no, I got an invite to this camp. Oh no, I turned down them to go to this camp. It was just always a conversation coming up with major midget organizations. It was just such yeah. a not a shit show, but just a a decision. Okay, where do I go? Who do I talk to? And well, it was always because kids back then didn't have agents at that young. They might yeah. now. I don't know. Oh, oh, geez, they got agents in U15 now. So no, they don't. Yes. U15. Yeah. Oh my god. So the 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 thing that I think that morphed into what we have now is that kids were getting committed to in August uh, of their last year of bantam. So they still had another year, you know, in bantam hockey, and they already knew where they were going to play midget, and that was. You know, that's, you just couldn't do that. That's that's a lot. That, that's, you know, and kids are going in, they're playing for their teams all winter, and they're all they're doing is talking about where they're going to play next year. Yeah. So yeah, that was a thing, big yeah. time. Yeah, the thing I didn't like about it personally, um, especially once I was getting a little older and I was living in Truro, was that you had to go down and now meet with, you know, 10 or 12 prospective players to try to convince them that your program was where you wanted to go, and uh, and of course Dartmouth or Halifax and then Cole Harbor were were doing the same thing. So, um, you know, it just got a little bit of a out of hand. It's out of hand, and then you know the 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 kids are now deciding where they're going to play, and it, you know at the end of the day, just cut all that out and just you know at that point at that point all the programs were pretty good and. You know, just let let them uh, let them pick a zone and cut all those side deals out. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's fair. It got worked out. Um, coming up, when I actually played in the league, even before your name always floated around. Oh no, like Steve coaches them. Like you were with Cole Harbor then. And I was like, oh no, like Steve's our coach. Great coach. He he does this. He does that. When other people are talking about you and they they talk about your greatness and things that you've accomplished. Sure, it matters, but at the end of the day, what what do you think your secret recipe is to one lasting this long in this game, and two, um, being a head coach for as long as you were? What do you think your secret recipe was? Well, I I make no secret of of um, of one thing: we play all our kids from the day that they arrive. I mean, they're paying a lot of money, and right up until probably the Monctonian, maybe even a little after that, in some years. Um, but at least up until the Monctonian, every kid on our team rolls out that door. Power play, penalty kill, no way. Five on five. We roll four lines, and uh, we and and it's just then we decide. We start to decide who's going to get into the specialty team roles, and you're hoping that uh, those that aren't on the power play are killing penalties. But still, five on five. Um, 
you know, we're rolling them out the door right, right, hopefully right through to the playoffs. Um, and it, it, where, where it's, um, where the benefit is, is that you, you really, there's so many kids and I'll look at our team this year and our coaches are still following that philosophy. Um, I look at our team this year, like that we started out, we had 10, 15 year olds. We had another five kids that were first year in the league. Um, and a lot of nervous kids, a lot of skilled kids, but very nervous. And other teams were pl- playing to that. You know, they were being physical with us. And, you know, and I, I, I would start off the, you know, f- the first game of the year, we'd go first line, second line, third line, fourth line, not to put a tag on a line, but, you know, the other teams would go first line, second line, third line, first line. So now their 17-year-olds and their veteran players are now playing against our kids that are, aren't ready really to play in the league and, and contribute. But to me, that's a, you're doing us a favor. You're doing us a favor because you're now giving those kids experience in a, in a situation that they normally wouldn't. And, you know, and there's two schools of thought on that. People say, well, you don't want them to fail. Well, I want them to, I want them to battle and fail because then that's the only way they're going to learn. You know? And then come playoff time, any one of our players can play five on five in a playoff game, uh, you know, at least in the first fifty minutes. I will. They can play against anybody else's line five on five and not hurt us defensively. So that's the growth that happens over the course of the winter. And then you know, this team. I think we were three and nine at one point this year. Uh, we just set a record on Sunday. Yeah, uh, Mark was telling me what what yeah, is it? sixteen wins in a row. And in our last uh, our last twenty four games, going right back to the to the last two games in the Monctonian, um, we're undefeated in regulation, and and we've lost two games in overtime. The to Picto that knocked us out of the Monctonian, and then that own goal there last week in the Ice Jam. I didn't want to bring it up, but yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's. Uh, they still got six, five games left, I guess, in our season, and and we're just trying to play our best hockey, and we're not worried about streaks or anything. But it's a testament to the program that you know now these young kids are starting to contribute in other ways that they couldn't. They just they 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 were trying to survive October and November. Yeah. Right. And now they're they're comfortable in the league, and now their skills are coming out. Did you, is it, you know, you've been in the game for so long. It doesn't really matter what you're doing in life. If you're in the same organization, same business, you, you start to see patterns. Have you seen a team similar to this year that you've seen in the past and go, okay, this is kind of like 97's team where we were really young. And then after Christmas, this started to happen. Was there a similarity? Oh, yes. I had a team in, uh, in Cole Harbor one year. I think we finished in, uh, in fifth place. We struggled early in the year. Um, we started to play well after the, after Christmas. I think we were seven and one in the back half after the ice jam or whatever the tournament was yeah. back then. Um, but we um, we beat the fourth place team, then we knocked the first place team off, and we lost, I think, in the final, in the league final. But you know that team just grew. You know it was incredible the growth in that team, and I see the similar thing. And we had ten first years on that team as well. No way. Yeah. What's your relationship like with Marty? Like when you guys are you know like picking a team. And, you know, maybe there's an, an argument over a kid. How does the relationship work with, no, I, I like this kid. I, I can see his development and something might happen. Like, how's your guys' relationship? Because he's been the head coach there for how long now? Two years. Two years? Yeah. What, what's that like? Because you stepped down and then he came in, correct? Yeah, my yeah. last year, it was three years ago, my last year, I, I probably coached um, I probably coached 50% of the games. Okay. And it was it was a transition period where – where I was mentoring, you know, the coaches to uh, to take things over. I think Jordan was there at that time too, and um, I always I always you know tell the funny story of the uh, I hadn't coached for about five weeks, and then you know the team was just playing, weren't playing great, and uh, I said, look, boys, it's mu- it, in 2020. I'm gonna I'm gonna come back and coach in the ocean, in the ice jam, and. Uh, and of course, we went undefeated and won the <laughs> tournament, right? And, and Marty said, "Yeah, the big white horse is waiting for you outside, right?" So, oh uh, man. Anyway, but we got a, we have a great relationship. He was my one of my captains uh, back in '92. Oh, was he? We won the bronze medal at the Air Canada. Okay. And uh, 
I, of, I often remind him he was a little bit of a renegade when he was younger. Was he still surfing back then? I don't know when he. I don't know what he was doing away <laughs> from the rink, but it, you know, he's grown up a lot. Let's just say that. Okay. And in fact, that year, I think I took the A off his jersey for some, some, oh, uh, yeah, some yeah, off just ice to, antics, yeah, eh? some, just to straighten him out a little bit. But uh, he ended up being a star guy at the nationals, and uh, and he got lots of opportunity. I think he ended up in. Uh, um, in Gatineau or Hall, I think it was called back at the time. So. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah. How important is it to you to work with people that you like? Well, you know, I think the, the the beauty of coaching is when you can see something that happens on the ice. If I'm working with the forwards, or I'm 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 changing the forwards, but I'm the head coach, and something happens on the ice with a defenseman, when you can look down at the other end of the bench and he looks at you and goes, "Got it." Oh right. no way! Oh, yeah, like, and the chemistry's and, there. Yeah, and it it doesn't matter whether it was Bob Mayo back in the early days or Craig Campbell, my days in Cole Harbor, and and now Marty. Like we we, we had that relationship that it take doesn't it doesn't happen overnight, but you you just sort of you see the game the same way, uh, you know. And I'm trying to put my influence on them as how I see it, but once they see how it works and that it does work then, uh, you know, it's almost like you're just, you're thinking exactly the same way and you're seeing the same things as they occur. So that's a, that's a bonus. That must be a goal too with your players. Like when a player comes to the bench, he knows he made a mistake. You don't even have to tell him. It's just the look. It's yeah. Well, you know, the odd time, you know, back in the day, uh, the odd time you'd have somebody, uh, you give them a, an error correction and, you know, and you're doing it as nicely as you can. Yeah. And, uh, and that's the beauty of the program where they can make that mistake several times and still get back put back on the ice. But the odd time, you might have somebody look back at you and say, oh, that wasn't me. <laughs> what? So, oh, yeah. No, I don't think. I don't think, you know, that was me. So See, this know. is why you love video, eh? Because yeah. now you can. <laughs> so, I, so I, you know, I take my notepad out and, you know, I have a little game card and I take it out and I look at the clock, you know, 2.37 left in the second, you know, th this play happened and he wasn't him. Right. So when I get to video, when I go home that night, I go home and watched all my games that night. Drove my wife crazy. Um, but I would go right to that point in the game. Like if I had a kid that questioned something, I would go right to that first before even the first period. Yeah. And then and then I get to that point and I and I, uh, I you know, I was right. And, and then so I would on the next video session we would we would have you know eight or nine clips it's not a long process but we would have eight or nine clips we get to that clip and i would i would start to play it and then i would freeze it and you could see the kid's number clearly see his number and i'd say now i have to i have to qualify this next clip because you know let's just say it's johnny smith you know now somebody has gotten into johnny's sweater because johnny <laughs> told me on the bench right he told me on the bench it wasn't him so we have two problems here. A, we have to find out who this is because he made this mistake, right? And he's just about three feet high, you know, and, and everybody's laughing as we roll it. But it's a nice way of, you know, I guarantee you that the other 19 kids are going, I'm never going to yeah. question them on the bench, yeah, yeah. right? But it's just a nice, funny way of getting your point across that, uh, don't, you know, don't don't question us. <laughs> We're probably right. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, Johnny Smith. I never liked that guy. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's uh, the 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 power of video. We can go back to it. To, to we talk about it all the time. It's great. Power yeah. of video. See your mistakes yeah. and see some highlights. Yeah. Were you? Uh, are you a? Are you a garbage can kicker? Not a good. No? no. I was gonna say I couldn't picture you kicking anything. Those. You seem the, like the, a calm. The guys that the guys that are in there losing their minds every five minutes. I guarantee you, within within a month. You most of your athletes are shutting down. They're going, oh, there he goes. He's going off the handle again, and they're not even. They don't even know what you're mad at. And half the time, if you're doing it on the ice at a practice, it's just wasted time. You know, I get a chance to go all over the province with uh, just not just my teams over the years. I also, while while I was coaching major midget hockey, I was coaching my kids coming up too. So. Um, I was a pretty busy guy because I was the ice scheduler in Truro, so I would schedule my kids' games around my own team's schedule. And uh, <laughs> anyway, but when you go to the rink, you know, there's there's a practice going on, 
you know, before you're getting there two hours before a game and, you know, might be down in Bridgewater or something. And there's some guy out there that starts a drill and the drill itself is terrible, which is, which is not the, not the story. But the, the story is, is that before every kid's even gone once in the drill, um, somebody's made a mistake, you know, and instead of keeping the drill going, he's blown, losing his mind yeah. and having a seven minute tirade on the bench or on the ice about what they did wrong. And that's just waste of time. And there was even three kids probably at the end of the line going, well, I didn't even go yet. <laughs> right? I didn't even get a chance to go. And then what happens is they, they, they go, okay, switch sides. We're going to do it from the other side. So they switch sides. And, of course, you know, the three shy kids who didn't even get a chance to go, guess they're at the end of the line because all the bullies are the front, yeah. are at the front again, right? Yeah. You know, And they're going to go do it wrong again So because they didn't know, have a clue what he said. <laughs> Yeah. Waste of time. Waste of time. Were you a drill guy in the dressing room? Write it down. Here's, here's what we're going to do, or were you on the ice? Because you talk about waste of time. Well, um, I, I was a master course conductor for the NCZP for oh, were you? 37 years. Oh. I probably certified 7,000 coaches in Nova Scotia. Stop. Yeah. So it's, you know, that that's a big um, responsibility. There's a, lot, there's a lot of, in those courses as an instructor, there's a lot of time put to... Um, you know, running a great practice. What are the components of a great practice? And I, had a, I, I tell them I have a rule that you're not at that board n- more than a minute. Like, here's the drill. You know, if you don't get it, go to the end of the line. Don't go first and screw my drill up. But here's the drill. Now, I would usually go over the first couple of drills in the dressing room before we went on the ice. But a lot of things like just puck management, like making sure that you maybe run – you know the first, uh, you know the first five or six drills in in midget. You know you're just trying to get them going. They're they're only six minute drills. You're trying to really get them going. But the puck management in those drills, like drills one and two, the pucks are in the same place. It might be opposite corners, but you're you know when you when you sh- when you switch sides, the pucks are already over on the other side, just the way the drill was designed, right? So you're not, you know, and, and while you're at that board for 90 seconds or, or, or 60 seconds, your assistants are setting up whatever has to be set up. S- yeah. You know, they're not listening to the drill. They know the drill. Yeah. Right? Now, Marty is uh, with technology now. Marty sends out the practice plan in the afternoon or the day before for the tomorrow's practice. To the players? To, to the coaches. So the coaches all know it. Okay. I, I'm not sure if the players are getting it or not, but I know I get it. Yeah. And it's just nice to see what they're doing, what they're planning, and that's cool. Yeah, are, are you an innovator at all when it comes to drills? Have you invented like your own drills? Um, well, I I learned. Uh, I went to a, a coaching symposium back in the early '80s. A symposium? Yeah, it was in uh, it was in Turku, Finland. Uh, it was an amazing twelve days of probably seven days in a classroom. Uh, then there was a break where you could do some traveling around, and yeah. then you came back, and then it was like four or five days on the ice. And uh, the on-ice guys were like young young Finnish players, uh, like Tikkanen or, yeah. uh, you know, Yari Curry or whatever. There was a lot of – Holy Mata. It was fast. It was fast. I mean, this is 1982. 82. Uh, 82, yeah. Scott Mellenby uh, was there because his dad was Ralph Mellenby, who did Hockey Night in Canada. No way. Um, yeah. So the what, what were they teaching you? Just new invented drills? Well, they um, they had a lot of stuff where they they would say go you know take like Scotty Bowman was there. All no. all all of the guys back in that day that were somebody coaching um, were there. Herb Brooks was there. Miracle, Herb Brooks. Yeah, Victor Tikhanov, the old Russian Red Army guy. Ludic Bukak, who coached the Czech Republic, he was, he would have been, I think, the coach in '76 when wow. in the Canada Cup. Um, oh, Red Berenson, Pat Quinn. So Pat Quinn was actually my the way they had the hotel set up. It was speaker student, speaker student with an adjoining door. Yeah, and and my adjoining door went to Pat Quinn's room. No way. Yeah, and he uh, he set me up big time. Uh, the first. The first night we were getting in, his wife was there with him, and uh, so I, you know, I was in I was in room two, and he was in room one. And actually, to get into the to the room, you had they gave you like five keys. It was like getting into Get Smarts, 
apartment. So I'm I'm fumbling with the keys to get them, and I feel this presence over my shoulder, and I and I look up, and it's Pat Quinn, like six foot seven, huge guy, and uh, and he says, and you know, and who are you? And I said, well, I'm I'm Steve Kroll. Yeah, and where's Steve Kroll from? And I said, well, I'm I'm from uh, Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. He goes, well, I know where that is. He goes, you're one of those goddamn mayor timers. <laughs> and I said, yeah. And he says, well, we're going to be here for the next 12 days, and I'm going to tell you right out here day one, there's no partying on this floor. Do you understand? I said, look, no problem, Mr. Quinn, no problem. So I go in, get my clothes put away, and next thing you know, Danny Flynn's with me, and, and he's got Red Berenson, and he's coming in on my bed and jumping up and down <laughs> on my bed like a kid. He goes, oh, I'm, I'm meeting right afterwards. We're going to get together and talk hockey. And he goes, who's your roommate? And I go, I got Pat Quinn and he's an asshole. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there's a, there's a knock on my adjoining door. I said, oh, my God, did he have a glass up there or yeah. something listening to me? Right? So I open up the door, and there he's standing there with a Hawaiian T-shirt on, a sombrero, and a 40-ouncer. And he's saying, anybody want a drink? <laughs> And his wife is rolling around in the bed laughing. She says, he set you up. So needless, That's amazing. To, needless to say, we had a uh, we had quite a week. That's awesome. But they he you know, Scotty Bowman was he used to carry recipe cards in his in his pocket. Recipe he, cards? Yeah. And he had a rink uh, he had a picture of a rink on one side and then the line part was on the back side. And okay. he said he said, I would walk into a rink and I would steal drills from from, you know, um, watching the peewee practice and i would say i could take that drill i could add a second wave or i could tweak that drill a little bit you know to make it for an nhl team and that's how i built my drill library and then i would take it back and put it in the recipe box under filing under transition or defensive play or whatever it was yeah. puck handling and that's how we built this drill so i started at that t- at that time uh you know doing your own recipe box yeah that's so crazy. I and then over the years I was the development coordinator in Toronto and I developed a binder for every team in the association from novice or you know IP right through to midget and in the one of the sections in the binder was a complete year supply of drills you know specific to that age group. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Steve. That's that's yeah you, you you took the recipe from the best in the world. Yeah. Like well, the there, best. there were things in there about parent meetings and um, just developing. Uh, you know, there was a, a Dr. David Scott. He's a sports psychologist at UMB. He's a professor at UMB. But on Fridays, he says he zips out of his professor's outfit and he goes somewhere in the world to work with you know different sports teams. Oh yeah. And uh, I brought him. Actually, brought him into Truro to talk to the coaches in Truro. This would have been in the early 2000s because we had a they had a major problem with, you know, playing their star players up there for 30 minutes a game, and so he he just came in and talked about um, what happens to a kid when he doesn't play, and he went through a three-stage process, and and I did that I I basically stole the Coles Notes version of that and put it in those binders, you that's know, cool to, to try to t- show the coaches that. You know, you take a kid that's really happy to make your Pee Wee AAA team or your Adam B team or whatever it is, mm. and he's really happy that he, f- you know, he made the cut, and then he goes from that to, you know, in, by March through this through this progressional mental thing that you put him through by not playing him, um, you know, he doesn't even feel like he's as good a human being as the next kid in the dressing room. It's a real shame what, what happens, the transformation over the course of a year. So that's another thing that sort of led to my philosophy of play your kids. Now, it's U18, and, you know, we're at the stage right now where, you know, we get to the last 10 minutes of a game, and Marty and those guys, they can, if a kid's not going that night, um, you know, he may not see much ice in the last 10 minutes. Yeah. But they've had, you know, they've had 35, 40 games this year with the tournaments to figure it out. To figure it out. And we're still working with them. That's... You know, I would still do individual video with some of those kids to help them out. To this my, day? To this day. I'll bring my iPad and I'll I'll videotape somebody's shifts yeah. and then break it down and then sit down with them for five minutes no and way. just show them some of, the, some of the areas that, you know, I get them to answer the questions. Like I'll roll the tape and say, now what did you see there? 
well, I got below the puck. I said, right, so we lost the battle. Now you're behind the puck, right? You got to be defensive side always. Right. So it's just little things like that. It's not done in a derogatory way. It's done to, mm-hmm. it's a teaching, you know, and there's usually one of the coaches in, in there with me too. So. Cool. This is, this is a serious question. The the uh, invention of email obviously has helped tremendously in, in business and in every aspect of life of being able to communicate with people. But for coaches, I don't know. I, I just think you got an email for a coach is good and bad. It's great because you can reach out to certain people, people can get back to you, but then there's also complaints, especially at the level you're at. When it comes to email and all that, you know, you, you were coaching in an area, era where there wasn't email. What's your, your thought process on that of... of I guess navigating through making sure everyone's happy because at yeah, the end a of great the day, question. no one, it's, no it's one will ever. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't like. I don't. Uh, I, I. I tell my parents at the start of the year. You know, at our level, you know, it's time to let your kid deal with his whatever whatever's bothering him. If he's, you know, if he's not happy with whatever, not happy with his line mates, or he thinks he should get, he's not getting enough ice time. He's getting not getting. You know, he's not, uh, he thinks he should be getting more ice time. We've had that odd complaint. Um, You know, and and at the end of the day, that kid's not going to have to worry about that, you know, because he probably will be on your top six. Um, But I guess my my thing is, is that they're, you know, when they they go to Major Junior or wherever they're going to go beyond us, if the coaches are getting calls from the dad or mom or whatever, you know, it's, there's a good chance that guy's going to be playing somewhere else in the very near future. Like, they just don't put up with that. So I guess in our motto, I tell the parents, I, I don't want to hear about ice time. You, you don't email the coach. Oh, you said, like, to this day, you yeah. said that? Like, yeah. Said, yeah. Don't, don't email the coach. And, and when I was doing it myself and there was no email, I'd say, don't call me about who you're, lying, who you're playing with and, and, uh, and ice time because – our program works, and everybody's going to play. Um, but if there's a problem in the room, if there's a, a bullying issue in the room, then by all means, you know, if the, if your son feels uncomfortable talking to the coach, you can call me, and we can just and we'll get to the bottom of it. If it's something that we feel has to go outside of our organization, um, you know, with all these new committees that they have now in place. Then we'll go. We'll do that. If it's above my pay grade, you know, I'll I'll definitely reach out to Hockey Nova Scotia or who or whoever and mm. and get to the bottom of it. But um, you know, I don't want to see you giving hand signals to your kid on the ice. You know, like uh, trust me. What? Oh yeah. And 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 don't coach your kid. <laughs> don't coach your kid on the way to the rink and on the way home. And I, and I'll tell you why. Because most of you as dads, even if you played the game. Most of you played in the 80s or 90s. Now, if I was to go and gr- gr- uh, bring out my drill book from the 90s or the, or the 80s and show you, uh, you know, I'll give an example. I, I did a, a, a bantam hockey school in New England, Bob Mayo and I, back in the mid-80s. And Jeremy Roenick was in it, Ted Donato, Tom Barrasso. Like, it was the best bantam players in the New England area. Well, I stumbled across that book. When I moved to Truro, that was in 97. And I threw it in the garbage because I, after I stopped laughing, I should have kept it. <laughs> because the, and they thought it was the greatest thing at the time. They thought it was the greatest drills. But the game changes every day. And if you think you're finished learning, you're going to be left behind. And, uh, you know, I often tell that to my coaches. Like, just don't sit on your laurels because somebody's going to come up with a new and a new way of doing things, and it's going to be better than what's being done right now. Mm-hmm. And you only have to look at the, you know, the red line coming out. Look at how the game changed. And I'll go back to that Finland trip. I mean, it, it, there was a U.S. college uh, coach at that, and he and they had no red line back then. And he was talking about all the stuff, and we were just basically saying, "Well, that's great, but unfortunately, we're all playing with the red line, so yeah. we can't do that stuff." Yeah, but. Um, yeah, that's a you know, and then the rules are changing in the game too. It's uh, I was listening to Martin St. Louis on a podcast this week, and he was talking about when he played, and all the hooking and grabbing and clutching and 
he says, man, I, I don't even know where I would have gone statistically if I hadn't didn't have to fight through all that. Yeah. The way the kids, the guys have to do it now. Yeah. It's, so. it's true. It changes every day. Yeah. One of the most coolest revolutions in hockey is the power play breakout, I think, when the centerman swings low as the defenseman brings it up and then puts everyone back and the centerman just flies. Like the Matthews breakout on the power play. I think that's one of the coolest plays going. Oh, I mean, McDavid too. Well, that yeah. guy, did, that guy doesn't even need to swing, but yeah. it's uh, it, it, the revolution. We were having this conversation the other day about the game. It's just ever evolving. We talked about baseball. We're like, I don't think baseball has much room to like improve or like revolutionize. Like, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Adapt, become. There's no like you don't see baseball changing. Right. Football, you don't really see it changing. Hockey, if you look at a game ten years ago compared to yesterday, the game is completely different. So there's just so much more room for growth in hockey, I think, in all of the sports uh, that are being played right now. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And we'll see what happens with it. Well, I, I remember watching the Montreal-Russian um, New Year's Eve game from the 70s, and it was you know, dubbed one of the classic games of all time. Yeah. If you ever watch that game, if you ever see that up on NHL Classics, okay. yeah, I mean, get the tissue out because you'll be laughing. You'll be crying. You'll be laughing so hard. Uh, uh, probably a really good major junior team could have whipped both of those teams right now. That's crazy. Like just the speed and the skill. Well, during the pandemic, Sportsnet was showing yeah. like old games, and that's yeah. where I kind of just sat down. And I, I'd watched an old game from the 70s, and you look at it, and it's just penalty after penalty after penalty right now. So it's just completely different. Yeah. And even if you, like I said, if you look at a game 10 years ago compared to now, it's different. Yeah. Speed, the way they're able to handle the puck, the way they're confident with the puck down low. Just totally different. It's an awesome game. Throughout uh, your career within the game of hockey, on the coaching side, general manager, what's one aspect that uh, I? What's one thing that you've learned about the game that maybe you didn't know at the very beginning? Could be on how to deal with players, on how to deal with parents, on how to deal with the actual scheduling of the game. Like, what's one aspect that you went into it and go, "Oh, I didn't know that would come up in this game." Well, that's a tough question. Um... Again, you know, I could I, I just revert to what we were just talking about. I mean, it, it, when, when, you go, when you go to the rink and you don't think that there's something to learn, yeah. I don't care if I'm just going to watch a game. I mean, you're, you're going to see something, the beauty of the game. And, and baseball has a little bit of this too. If you watch baseball consistently, oh, yeah. you will see something in baseball that, in a game that you will never, you've never seen before and you might never see it again. And that happens in hockey all the time. Um, and you'll, you may, you know, with, with parents, for the most part, parents are really good. If their kids are happy, the parents are happy. And, uh, but you'll get the odd, you know, the odd crazy complaint out of left field. And you're saying, wow, like I never even saw that coming, you know, like what's next is, is Mars going to run into Jupiter or something (laughs) like, like this is crazy. Um, you know, and and one of the things I always say at our, at our parent meeting is, you know, if you're up there, if you're up there giving your kid hand signals or and coaching your kid, and I said, let's let's just imagine that your your dream is that he's going to play for the Mooseheads, he's going to be at Scotia Bank Center in front of eight thousand people, the next year, right? That's your dream. That would be your dream draft. So now you're there, you are on a Friday night, you know, in the heat of the battle. And there's a whistle, and the kid's coming off, and and you're giving them the, yeah. you know, you're giving them the crossed hands or whatever your signals are, right? And and it's up, you're up on the screen, on the big screen, right? And now there's eight thousand people in the stands laughing, like who is that guy? And Cam Russell's up in the press box with his hat pulled down, looking at his head scout, saying, "Who drafted that guy?" You know, like it just doesn't I, i'm you know i'm, I'm no i get I'm it, making yeah. a joke out yeah of it. yeah but it's just that's how insignificant your what you're teaching your 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 child you know at that point in his career mm. like he's not thinking for himself anymore and probably what you're teaching him is wrong because it doesn't it doesn't jive with what the, the, the you know the coaching system you know, the, there's many different ways to play the game and all successful and if you have one guy out there that's doing his own thing yeah doesn't work doesn't what, matter which yeah. one you're playing well what's the number one characteristic in a kid that you see go on to be successful when you see those successful kids come through your programs and they go on to do not just great things in hockey but great things in life like what's that one characteristic you see well they have a real 
they have they have a real passion to learn. They uh, mom and dad are totally like totally supportive, but they're they're not overbearing. They're letting the kid get through the the muddy waters with you know hopefully with a good coach, but they're they're letting them find their way. And I look at the you know the the two Barron brothers. I had Morgan in Dartmouth. You know, he came into our team. He started out. He was on the fourth line. And, uh, you know, if the play came around to his side of the ice, he was a left winger. And if the play came around to his side of the ice, we never got the puck out. So it, and it took him almost till Moncton. I think he had one goal going to the Montonian. No and, and uh, you know, and he wasn't on the major Bantam team. He came from the Halifax team. And, oh, uh, they, like, they had Barrett decision and, um, kid that went down to the states there, you know, they they had about four or five star players mm-hmm. that were above him on the on the, the chart, chart on yeah. the depth chart. So you know, he was a solid player. I think he was the captain of the team, and uh, but you know, he wasn't like this can't miss prospect coming into midget. And uh, you know, we just showed him a couple of things. Just we worked with him almost on a daily basis to show him a couple of things just in that scenario alone of how he could slow the game down in his mind. So he was just getting passes and just banking them off the boards. He didn't know if the defenseman was pinching. He didn't know if the third man high was in his kitchen. He was just panicking and getting rid of the puck. And, you know, we we did two things for him, and he was standing still. So we just got him to come down a little bit lower on on a routine breakout. And now he's – and as he's opening up, he's looking up the ice and taking a picture. But it wasn't an overnight thing. It was video, you know, stopping the video. Like, here you are panicking again, mm. and there's not a guy within 40 feet of you. And was he getting frustrated with you guys no. telling him? Like, he just no. like, oh, that's a you. Yeah, no, he was great. He was like a sponge. Yeah. But the second half of the season, I mean, the guy's on one of our power play units. And, uh, you know, and then the second year, he's the captain and one of the best players at the Tallis Cup. Like, he was awesome in his second season. Just totally transformed. Did you get a call from Cornell saying, "What's this kid like?" No, no, no. He went to um, he went to St Andrews College. Oh yeah. Um, we had calls. Uh, we, I had calls from like we had five kids during that same time frame that got drafted to the NHL that had come in our program, and I probably had twelve, twelve other general managers or head scouts or regional scouts call me from different NHL teams. And because they go back to Midget to find out. I said, they're not calling Steve Kroll to find out, is he good enough? Do I think he's good enough to play for the Carolina Hurricanes or whatever? They, they know that. They've determined that wherever he's playing now, whether it's Cornell or, or you know, Halifax Mooseheads. What they want to know is what, can't, what, what was he like at our level in the dressing room um, how was he with the coaches? How was he with his teammates? What did he have leadership abilities? All that. All, what was he like when you went on the road? You know, was he the guy sneaking out trying to break curfews? They they know what those kids had for breakfast before they draft them. But they all asked me. They all asked me like three or four questions. But there was probably six different questions. But they all asked me the same question. One, they all asked one question that was identical. What can you tell me about mom and dad? And when it came to the Barons, you know, I didn't coach Justin, but um, but I know the parents from coaching the other guy. And you couldn't meet a nicer, supportive, you know, pair of parents for a young player to grow up in the game. And that's, you know, I can look at Zach Sill that I had in Cole Harbor. Did you have him in Truro as well? So? I had, yeah. Well, I didn't have him. He was with Sean Evans. Okay. Yeah. I, dra- I, I drafted him as a territorial pick. Yeah. But, um but you know he, he uh, you know his his mom and dad were just salt of the earth people, you know, and th- that he wasn't given anything extra. You know there was no five hundred dollar sticks. You know he he had to rough it out a few times, but you know they did not stick their nose in once to say, well, you should be playing with this guy or should be on that power play unit or, you know, just let your son just give him the support that he needs. I always say that uh, two things you should tell your kids going to the rink, you know, work hard and have fun. 
right? And if you, you know, if you start interjecting, but you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to do that, it generally doesn't work as a general rule. It's funny how those two simple rules still apply today. Work hard, have fun. So yeah. generic, but just so well, true. You know, again, I go back to Martin St. Louis, like the, the, the young players on that team right now, on the Canadians, love him because he's, He's almost like a dad figure too. He's he's telling them how are they going to have fun, how to enjoy the game. Of course, winning will help, but they're in a different phase right now where they're they're rebuilding for the future. But you know, all of the players, almost to a man, are telling them are telling you know the outside world how fun it is. You know, they're still really competitive, but he you know he's really competitive, but he's making the game fun. He's showing them things and teaching them, and that's that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Relatable to life, the game of hockey. You know, everything you're talking about relates to life. Yeah. Doesn't have to just be hockey. That's great. Yeah. Um, move. How much time are we at? 55. Moving 55. Jesus, you talk, Steve. Moving into uh, playoffs. I don't want to bring up your record. I don't want to jinx anything. Moving in. What's the um, mentality right now in the room? I know these teams that do well. Not that they get too confident, but moving into a scenario where they have to win or win or die, what do you think the the mood is like in the room right now? Do you think they're confident, a little nervous? What what's the? Well, I, I, I they're certainly um, they're certainly playing the right way. Uh, okay, you know we're, we're they they've got a, we we have one of the faster teams in the league, and uh, we we didn't we couldn't use that early in the year because fear makes you slow down. It's a uh, but they're over that now. You know, they're past that, and uh, and now it's it's really it's uh, you know the playoffs ramp up a little bit now. You know, there's everything changes a little bit in the playoffs. All nervous energy. Yeah, and it's like the it's like the NHL. the The best round in the NHL playoffs is round one, and you know everybody. It doesn't matter whether you have 50 points or you get 15 points. It doesn't matter. You know, you have zero when you start in the playoffs, and all you need is a a hot goalie and you know a couple of breaks like and the next thing you know you're down a game and pressure's on <laughs> the next thing so you know, you're we'll see we'll, we'll we'll see how these young kids you know they they certainly for for one of the youngest teams that's ever played in this league for them to to do what they've done in the second half of this season is incredible and you know they surprise you every night you come to the rink and you know like i say we're we're, we're tickled pink to where they are um you know, it's uh, I, I don't know. I I, I guess the playoffs are, are a different animal. Last year we had a veteran team, a lot of 17-year-olds, and we lost. To, we were finishing second place. We lost to the seventh-place team. Yeah, that's playoffs. Hot goalie and and a team that was that was fighting for everything, mm. and uh, our guys didn't handle it well. Even with that, we we lost in five games. You know, it's yeah. We'll see. Yeah, maybe the shoes on the other foot this year. Yeah, we'll see what happens. And we appreciate you as well for having us along for the ride over these years. Like we we, we love going to the the Zatsman Sportsplex and stream. And so thank you. Yeah. And I want what? No. And I want to you know I want to thank you for for coming on as well. We appreciate it. We got to wrap it up. I know we could talk for another hour probably, yeah. but uh, that's why you're going to come back maybe after the playoffs. Yeah. And then we'll <laughs> see what happens. Maybe we'll come with you to Atlantics, Provincials, whatever it is, and uh, and we'll figure it out. Well. I, I appreciate the opportunity, and I know uh, just speaking uh, for you guys, you know, you, you've you've come a long way in a few years, uh, right from your your trip out west there with the Max, and oh, yeah. uh, and then where you are now, and uh, this fancy studio and <laughs> fancy. It's never been called. It's been called a lot of things. A lot fancy. I'll take it though. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. Thanks. Awesome. A lot. All right, Steve. Everyone listening, thank you very much uh, for tuning in. This is going to come out Friday, so. Enjoy your weekend, have fun, work hard, and uh, we'll see you around the rink. We're out. Peace.